0: Hey, I actually wanted to uh, begin with a quote this weekend. If you've been following along, we've been working through the Gospel of Mark, sort of uh, a chapter or two at a time. Lucky me, I drew the short end, the short straw, and I got to cover three chapters fun. But don't worry, uh, we're not going to keep you here all day. Obviously, we could spend the rest of our lives studying uh, the life of Jesus and and as conveyed by any of the Gospels, including Mark. Uh, But we're just going to briefly touch on on most of it, and then we're going to dig in a little bit more in chapter 14. Uh, But I did want to begin actually with a quote uh, from a very influential person And it's actually uh, General Norman Schwarzkopf who was part of the Gulf Wars. And he said these words, Leadership is a potent combination of strategy and character. But if you must be without one, be without the strategy. It's a potent combination of strategy and character. But if you must be without one, be without the strategy. What's he saying? I believe he's saying that when the going gets tough we all look to have someone in our lives who can be trusted under pressure. Isn't that character, isn't that the definition? Somebody who has integrity, who can be trusted under pressure, who when the load, when the weight is on, they're gonna be solid. And I believe that um, Jesus shows himself in the Gospel of Mark to be just that kind of person. Someone we can trust, even when he's under the greatest amount of pressure. I think another word for pressure could be burden, right? When he's, when he's carrying the burden, he's gonna be faithful and true, and he's even gonna love us with an incredible supernatural Life-changing love. And so we're going to look at that. It actually really is pictured uh, in the Word of God as an ox, the animal, uh, the ox, right? We learned uh, in the introduction to this series that um, uh, the book of Revelation and the book of Ezekiel, I believe Revelation, I know for a fact Ezekiel, speaks of four different animals in the presence of the Lord. One had the face of a lion. Uh, One had uh, the face or the head of an ox, One had the head of a human, of a man, and one had the head of an eagle. And we believe that those represent the way that God chose to reveal himself and his son Jesus as the lion, the king, as the ox, the suffering servant, the servant who bears our burdens, as the perfect man in Luke and in the gospel of John as the eagle, the son of God for all of the world. Not just for Jews, but for all of the Gentiles, everyone everywhere. And so we're, we have the privilege of looking at him in the gospel of Mark uh, as represented by an ox. And I kind of looked at the oxen. Oxen have been used for 6,000 years or more in human history, and they don't have a very glorious job, right? The bulls get to have all the fun. I'm not going to go into detail, but bulls tend to be used to, you know, multiply the herd, and oxen uh, don't get any of that. They actually are bred specifically to bear the burden, to pull the load, to pull the cart, to hoe the field, to truly be someone who can be, well, trusted under pressure, who's going to uh, 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 carry the burdens, and uh, uh, I just thought, before we jump in, oh, by the way, could I get the countdown going, just because, you know, until the countdown begins, I'm just going to preach all day, you know, I'm, I'm a preacher boy, <laughs> I have a Pentecostal background, hallelujah, and I can keep you here all day, uh, in the presence of God, uh. so somebody better put some numbers up on there. Uh, but I just, hey, speaking of ox, oxen, I wanted just to um, ask you guys a couple of things real quickly. Uh, one is, do you know uh, where oxen go to be educated? So wow. Okay, all right. What about this one? What is an ox's favorite type of math? Calculus. What about this one? Why do milking stools only have three legs? Because the cow has the udder. Oh yeah, we're going to make you suffer. We're going to make you pay the price. You want to follow Jesus? You're going to pay the price. Bad pastor jokes. It's part of your burden to carry today. What about this? Why wouldn't the cattle cross the road? Because they were cow herds. Just one more, I promise, this is it. Why did the cow cross the road? Woo, come on, give it up for Debbie, give it up for Debbie. She came ready, she's been in the presence of the Lord. She's been in prayer, the Lord spoke that to you. You were ready to share, sister, amen. (laughs) I love it, I love it. Well, hey, I wanted to... Uh, just talk by way of introduction. Again, I'm not going to cover these in detail. I would encourage you; they're in the U version notes. If you're following along, or if you scan the QR code on the seat, you can follow along with the message notes. Uh, but I wanted to. I believe that that these chapters, and obviously, indeed, the entire gospel presents Jesus as one who is a load lifter, a burden lifter, one who was not afraid to roll up his sleeves, get in the mud and mire of our messy human condition, and truly help lift our burdens. Right? I believe it's Psalm 50. 522 that said, blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burdens. And so we, sp- we sang a song saying, worthy, worthy, I'll cry worthy. Worthy is just, I think one of our goals, I think Pastor jo- or Joshua mentioned it last week, but one of our goals in studying the gospel is that we will fall in love with Jesus. That, that he's revealing himself to us and that, that we can see through all of these different stories and parables that he is worthy That he is worthy of our heart, worthy of our worship, worthy of our love. And so I just wanted to real quickly talk about the idea of some of the burdens that Jesus lifted. And again, I encourage you, I'm not going to go deep into them, but just maybe take, you may want to take some time and study these on your own and truly read these passages and see. And you may find hundreds of other ways, maybe better ways to express what burdens he lifted and how he did it. But just as a thought, you know, I believe that in in, in chapter 12, in fact, the last part of chapter 11, uh, Jesus shows that he bears so willingly and trustworthily the burden of authority, right? They're asking him, hey, uh, uh, by whose authority are you doing these things? By whose authority are you doing these miracles? And Jesus kind of had some fun with them, you know, gave them a little riddle about the, uh, John the Baptist. Hey, what about, was his baptism from God or from man? And, uh, you know, they couldn't answer him. He's like, well, neither am I going to answer you. But then he went on, actually, in the very next passage, and he said, hey, uh, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And it's beautiful, right? He actually answered their question. He said, hey, I have the authority from God. Exocia. It's an authority. It's, a, it's what goes forth ex by the very virtue of who a person is. Exocia in the Greek. The authority that's conferred, that's delegated. He's even delegated that authority to us as his sons and daughters. He even wants us to be walking in his XOC, his authority that he gave to the 72 when he sent them out. But he he carried that burden in a trustworthy manner and he uses it for our good. What about this? The burden of truth and revelation. When he actually confronted them at the first part of chapter 12, if you have your Bible, feel free to open it up, but I'm just going to breeze through these. but he, he had the truth of, "Hey, the Father is not pleased because the spiritual leaders haven't been uh, uh, helping the people engage with God and worship Him." And he compared them to, to lazy and selfish and, and, and rebellious uh, tenants of a vineyard. And he really had a, a word that wasn't going to make him popular. He's like, "Hey, God is not pleased." And if you don't repent, God will judge this, right? Sometimes it's hard to know the truth, isn't it? To have the revelation from God and know that it's not gonna make you any friends. But Jesus bore that burden so faithfully. What about this? He bore the burden of being our example. You know, they brought in the whole question of like, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar, yes or no? They were trying to trap him. And he didn't, you know, he could have pulled the God card. He could have been like, well, speaking of, I'm glad you brought that up. Who created the ore? that became the metal that those coins are made out of. Because if we really want to talk about who's worthy of what, how about if you give me everything in all of creation? But he didn't pull the God card. He submitted himself to answering the question in a way that would be an example for us. Because we can't pull the God card, right? Have you tried that with the IRS? Listen, I serve the Lord. Technically, he, no, don't try that. (laughs) Jesus bore the burden of being an example for us and not just playing the God card. He was so faithful and so loving in how he did that. What about this? The burden of our ignorance of the scriptures. Right? They bring him in the next passage there. This whole, they thought they'd come up with this perfect question. Hey, a lady uh, had a husband. He died. Had another one. He died. Ended up having seven. They all died. Didn't have kids with any of them. Whose wife is she going to be in, in heaven? They thought they had him trapped. And he's like, oh, guys, you err. You, you're mistaken because you don't know the scriptures. Or the power of God, you don't know. And you know what? He had to. He had to humble himself and bear the burden of their ignorance. Moms in the room, have you ever? Do you feel like you've had to bear the burden of helping your kids know how to brush their teeth? And like, why? But why? You know, they're like uh, the Backstreet Boys. Tell me why? You know, they're. But it's not as cute when they do, it, right? It's like, how many times have I told you, right? Or you know, get a drink of water before you go to bed. Whatever Th- those simple things but there's that ignorance they don't understand the why behind it and it seems like it takes forever but jesus was like that like a loving mom just just bearing the burden of our of our ignorance and as much as i'd like to say oh man those ignorant people of hey how many times in my own life am i ignorant of, of of what the word of god speaks to my situation and and i'm just like them and because i'm ignorant guess what guess what i'm also lacking what goes together? He says, you're lucky because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Those things often come together, right? There's a power. That word is different from exosia. That word is dunamis, which is where we get dynamite from. That means force and energy and ability, right? And, and so God is saying, man, I want my, my power to be at work in your life, but when you're ignorant of my word, you're not also gonna experience and be able to walk in this. And so he was patient. He bore the burden and he bears the burden with us in our ignorance. What about this? He bore the burden of laying the foundation, right? When it really came down to it and he was asked, hey, what's the most important thing? Uh, he was like, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. It was kind of a, hey, two plus two is four. Right, it's just bringing it down, breaking it down. I'd rather be discussing philosophy. I'd rather be discussing Renaissance and history. I'd rather be discussing, you know, music appreciation and Bach and Mozart. But I'm sitting here with you again. Anybody been called to 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 walk along somebody? Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone, and just kind of help them understand the basics. And it takes great patience and humility, doesn't it? But Jesus bore the burden of helping us understand truly the basics of what's most important to God and what about this one then he goes on in chapter 13 and I'm not going to take time to study it we have a mess uh, an entire series uh, focused around the end times and you can find that on our YouTube channel if you want uh, to hear more about that but but he took time literally Jesus was in the passion week he had come in on the triumphal entry he knew what was coming he was getting ready to lay down his life and he took a time out and said you know what Even with everything I'm about to encounter in the next 48 hours, I want to break and make sure you guys are ready for what you're going to go through in the next 48 years. Jerusalem wouldn't be destroyed until AD 70. And even there's prophecies in there, no doubt, still refer to the end times for us. But Jesus was looking at you and me and his disciples in that day and saying, I don't think you guys can even imagine what I'm getting ready to walk through. But I want to take time out right now and answer your question about what about these stones of the temple? And I want to make sure you're ready to go through your pressing and the pressure you're going to go through. Even though I could really have said, man, I don't have time to, you know, listen, I got to get through the next 48 hours or, or, or three or four days in my life. But he did it because he loves us. He bore the burden of making sure we were ready. Do you agree that Jesus is worthy? Man, can we see here that Jesus is one who can be trusted under pressure? I believe he totally is. And so we come then to chapter 14, and forgive me because my throat is really dry today. We come here and I believe that we see that Jesus is not only someone who can be trusted under pressure, but that Jesus loves well under pressure. We see him encountering three different people in chapter 14, or want to focus at least on three. And I believe that we're going to see that Jesus loves us well under pressure. And so I'm going to uh, pick it up and read these portions, beginning with um, chapter 14, uh, verse 1, actually. Well, I'll read it from here. Uh, now, the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. What a beautiful story we see. This woman, we don't know for sure. It could be Mary uh, that is found in in John chapter 12. Uh, We don't know that for sure. But what we know about this woman is that she may have not been highly educated, you know, judging by the way women were treated in those days, by the access to education and, and power that they had, uh, the way they were viewed in society. I think it's safe to say she probably didn't know a lot of the theological uh, ramifications of the Messiah and the, all of the Hebrew prophecy. She probably didn't have the, the Torah memorized as many of the men did. But you know what she did know? She knew where to start. She knew the number one thing. She knew what was most important. And that was really, I believe, what Jesus had told that teacher of the law two chapters earlier. "Is hey, you know what the most important thing is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I believe she was embodying exactly that. When she, in a house full of people, no doubt the men were reclining in one area, perhaps the women and children were in other rooms, but still with access. And she knew that the most important thing was Jesus. And I don't know, we don't know from Scripture, did she see something on his face that betrayed the weight that he was carrying? Did she see Jesus, you know, yes, he's God, but he's also man. What would you have been feeling if you had never felt separation from your father, if you had never felt anything but his favor, his love? His pride, His joy. And now you were getting ready to take on the sins of the world and feel not just, you know, his, his, his a bit of distance, but complete rejection and wrath and suffer His anger and punishment for us. I don't know, but somehow there was something of her that was like, I need to get to Jesus and, and I don't fully understand if this makes sense from a religious standpoint, but I want him to have the most valuable thing I have right now and I'm going to break this alabaster jar of perfume and pour it on his head. And so she did that. She did that and I guarantee you, that was a showstopper. Have you ever been in Cherry Creek Mall and walked, people walk by you that are wearing expensive perfume? You know, they're not typically wearing the old spice. If you, you know, they're not wearing the, the stuff, you know, the, even some of the stuff that I, man, some of these people are like, Phew, man, they walk by and you're like, wow, I'm going to smell better for like the next three days. You <laughs> just, you walked by me. I mean, I was just going to Cinnabon, you know. <laughs> it says it was made of pure nard and it was worth 300 denarii, which was, uh, that was each uh, denarius was a, a day's wage. So literally the better part of a year's worth was what she poured out on Jesus. It was good perfume. And no doubt it was like, it was a showstopper. It filled that aroma. Can you imagine? I mean, it filled the house. And no doubt that house smelled like that for, for, for months. But even more importantly, when she poured out on Jesus, Jesus took on that aroma. And Jesus smelled like that. What an incredible thing. Because what she did, she wasn't afraid of the extravagance of her love. She was like, I, I know people are gonna judge me. I know whatever, it doesn't make sense. I don't even understand, but I want to offer Jesus my love. I want to I believe that God is saying, hey, when we sense that that urging to, to come closer to Jesus, to come with Jesus, but in an act of worship, do it. Don't don't ask yourself, does it make sense? Don't ask yourself what other people are gonna think. Move to Jesus. Pour your love on him. And that is exactly what she did. She saw Jesus. You know, we ended up in a conversation uh, at teaching team around the difference between sacrifice and true love, sacrificial love. You know, sacrifice is like, we can think of like, oh, what could I do that would really like demonstrate what a good like lover I am right? How, how, what a great person, how generous, how kind, how loving. And, and you know, Joshua Kagan brought up the idea of, you know, I could, uh, I could buy 10,000 cans of Coke, you know, several pallets of Coke, cans of Coke for my wife, but not even thinking, wow, you know, she's probably, maybe she's fighting diabetes. She's not. I'm just, as an example, right? Maybe she's fighting diabetes. That wouldn't be an act of love. That could be sacrificial. I spent my entire paycheck, but it wouldn't be an act of love, right? I was thinking of my wife. My wife loves croissants. More importantly, she loves chocolate croissants. And I guess if you want to go even narrower, she likes Starbucks chocolate croissants. And so for, for, for years, that's been something that from time to time I can surprise her and just kind of, if I'm out and about in the morning, you know, drive through the Starbucks, you know, bring, bring her a chocolate croissant, and that's been a huge blessing for her. But here's the thing. There's been some times in the last few months where she has purposely tried to stay away from Gluten. And Starbucks chocolate croissants, unless you pray for them and rebuke the gluten, which I think can work. (laughs) But otherwise, they do have gluten in them. And so here's the thing. If she's in a place where she's like, hey, based on what I'm going through, I need to stay away from gluten. Even if I'm tempted, please, I need you to stand with me in this, right? Am I being loving if I go and bring her three chocolate croissants? No, right? Why? Because I'm not being attentive to her. I'm not seeing her. I'm not, I'm not truly in tune with what, right now, what she needs. Right now, what would minister to her heart. Right now, what would help her and encourage her. I believe that as we look at this woman, last night, Rosanna mentioned, like, she paid attention to him, right? Is that, is that what you said, Rosanna? Right, is that, is that what we want? I, I, I would say women, I think all of us want that. But Last night, I said, hey, women in the room, what do you want, you know, from your husband, from your significant other, And, and, right, hey, I want you to be in tune. I want you to pay attention. I want you to listen to me. I don't just want you to do cool things for me. I want you to know what what I need, what I want, what's important to me. And I believe that that is exactly what this woman did for Jesus. In, In a room full of people where there was so much going on, so much distraction, she honed in on Jesus. And she found a way to minister to his heart. And it moved his heart in a powerful way. People began to argue about it but she encouraged Jesus in his darkest hour. Think about this. Jesus was getting ready to lay down his life. And what this woman did, her act of worship encouraged him. Because then when he goes on to explain, he says, hey, she did what she could. And she anointed me for my burial. Again, I don't know how much she knew. how much, Or maybe she was completely oblivious to what he was going to face. But she was in tune enough to be used by God as part of his plan. And I believe God wanted to honor his son Jesus. I believe that this anointing of this incredible fragrant perfume was God saying, hey, even before you go through this act of obedience, I'm pouring out an an, an anointing on you. And I want you to smell like this when they're pulling your body off of that cross. And when they're laying your body in that tomb, guess what? the fragrance of what this woman did is gonna surround everything that takes place. Can you imagine? She had I bet she had no idea of how significant her act of worship and her act of love was. I was talking to Adam last night, he mentioned, you know what? Uh, maybe it shows a little hint of the kingdom of God that the fact that, um, that even before, you know, they would typically, the custom was they would anoint and, and put oils and perfumes on the body after it had died after someone had died. But is it is it a, maybe a little hint of the kingdom that the father would be like, I want Jesus, my son, to actually enjoy this aroma while he's going through the suffering because I know that he's laying down his life. Nobody can take it from him, but he is willingly laying it down. First of all, in obedience and love for me. Secondly, in love for humankind. Does God anoint us even before we go through the trial? Does he sometimes get ahead of himself in a good way and say, hey, I know what you're about to go through and I want to bless you and I want to comfort you and I want you to know my pleasure and my delight in your obedience. We don't know all of that, but this woman certainly touched the heart of Jesus and he was commended in such a powerful way. He was moved by her love. You know what? I believe that there's a lie of the enemy that tries to get us to to believe that God is so powerful and so mighty that he doesn't even see our worship. You know, he's got billions of people or millions of people all over the world worshiping him. Man, he doesn't notice if you're, you know, not here. He doesn't notice if you're not singing a song to him. He doesn't notice if in the middle of a trial you're just like, hey, I, I can't worship you. But he does. He's encouraged by your worship. He's moved by your song. I was looking around in worship and I saw a couple holding each other and I am privy to the fact that they've gone through some very, very difficult, very, very heartbreaking things in in their lives where, where hopes and dreams have been crushed very recently and I, I truly believe that They're here making a choice to say, God, we're not here because you're giving us everything we want, because you're answering every prayer, because it's easy, because we understand everything you allow, and we're in agreement, and we like it. That's not at all. They're here going, wow, in the midst of the pain, as that song that we talked about, worthy of my song, right? When you're wiping my tears away in the blessing and the breaking, I'm choosing to say, wow, I can't even raise my hands but I'm in the room, God. I'm here. I can't, I can't even fully sing the words of the song, but, but I'm standing here. That's an act of costly worship. And I told them before, the met, before coming up here to speak that, that I believe God sees that act of worship and that means so much. And that sometimes might mean more than when I'm on the front row, woohoo, and I'm dancing and lifting my hands and shouting to the Lord. Not that God certainly receives worship when everything's going great. Of course he does. He loves it all. But sometimes it's the costliest of worship that moves his heart the most. And I believe Jesus was moved by this woman's worship. And he loved her with the Father's heart. What about this? There's another character we see here. And that is Judas Iscariot. You know, if you go back and uh, uh, read verse 10 of, of, uh, of this same chapter, it says this, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. You know, isn't it interesting that in the most vulnerable, in the, in the act of, of costly worship and love, of someone being dialed into the heart of Jesus and pouring love out on him, that that would be the breaking point for Judas? that literally the next thing that's written is that that was when he was like, that's it. That's the final straw. I'm going to betray this man. Wow. Joshua spoke of it last weekend, but I believe that shows a hardened heart, doesn't it? Shows a hardened heart. Judas had been with Jesus three and a half years. He was chosen by Jesus. He was called to follow him. Jesus shared life with him. Think of people you go scrapbooking with. Think of people you go hunting with. Think of people you're in a, in a fantasy football league with or people that you enjoy hanging around that you kind of let your guard down, that you have fun with. Think of people that you've gone on vacations with, that you've traveled with. That was Judas and Jesus. He had poured, he had given himself to him. He had let him see him in the morning before he brushed his teeth or I don't know how they did it back then. With his hair messy, he saw them when they were, you know, after a long march and they all had B.O. I mean, they went through all of it together. He was one of the of the disciples that were sent out with the exosia, the the authority of God that we talked about earlier. He had literally said, Judas, I'm giving you my authority. Go and heal the sick. Go and 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 tell the good news of the kingdom of God. Go and cast out demons, Judas. You've got my authority. There was nothing that Jesus had held back from Judas. He even let him be the the financier of the operation. He even kept the books for Jesus International, well, National Ministries, sorry. Started with the Jews. International would come soon. But Jesus even trusted him, even though we know from other gospels that he was actually helped himself to some of the bag. But Jesus even... my guess is Jesus probably knew what was going on. Jesus is a pretty smart guy. But he was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm holding nothing back. Even though he's cheating me, I'm letting him do this. I'm letting him be a part of everything. He's hearing my words. He's being around my presence. He's under my teaching. He's endowed with my authority. He has the friendship of all the other disciples that are following me. But even in the midst of that, he missed the main thing. He missed out. He had a form of morality, right? Hey, this could have been sold. And, and here's the thing, guys. I know we're trying not to do this a whole lot in cross-reference from different gospels, but I cheated. Shh, don't tell Mark Marble. I cheated. I went to another gospel. And guess what? In verses 4 and 5, where it, reads, uh, uh, where it reads this, some who were present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been split and sold and, uh, you know, to feed the hungry. It was Judas. In other gospels we learn that he was one of the ones that was griping and complaining when Jesus had just received the most significant act of love. He was griping. He missed it completely. I believe that God wants us to know, guys, that there's a, there's a form of morality out there in the world today that is very vogue and very chic and very popular. There's a lot of taglines. There's a lot of hashtags. There's a lot of... Uh, Things that have an air of rightness to them, but it's not grounded in who God is and in what he has said. And I believe that he's reminding us, even through this story, hey, if you want to to, to truly touch my heart, it begins by loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then, and only then, will you be able to love others as yourself? I believe Dan brought it up in our teaching team meeting that, you know, can we truly love others if we're not loving God with all of our heart first and foremost? Because what if what if we're leading them astray? What if something we think God has for them isn't what God has and God has something else that's much better? But we don't even know that because we're not loving the Lord first. I believe that God would have us check our assumptions about our own life and what is right and what is wrong about others around us, maybe even about global events, right? So many things going on in the world. Oftentimes we get caught up and sucked into this opinion or that opinion or this movement or that movement. But I believe that God would say, hey, start with loving me. Start with knowing my word. Start with listening to what I've said first and start, let that be your starting point. It seems like it was for that woman, but it wasn't for Judas, I believe that from there, we'll be able to walk in the true righteousness of the Lord, have his mind and his heart. Here's the thing. He was threatened by love that was uncalculated, love that was ridiculous, love that didn't make sense. And you know what? I believe a religious spirit is threatened by that. You know, when we give ourselves to the Lord fully, wow, it just stirs up something that that's how we know if Jesus is number one is because when he's not, there's something stirred up that's like, well, wait a second. No, that's too much, and it's not too much. Jesus is the one who can be trusted under pressure. He's worthy of our song. He's worthy of our love. And Judas, it was revealed that his heart was filled with a religious spirit, but not with true love. Here's the thing, though. How did Jesus love him? Even in the midst of that, in... uh, Proverbs 27, it says this, verse 6, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. How would Judas go on to betray Jesus? With a kiss. How Were Jesus' words rebuking Judas when he had attacked this woman, how would those have been received? Maybe like a wound, right? I mean, was there a bit of a sharpness, do you think, that Judas felt at those words? I think it's possible, but it says wounds from a friend can be trusted. Even cutting words, words of truth, difficult things can actually help us know how to be healthy, how to grow how to become what God wants us to become. Sometimes those things, those wounds are necessary, and I believe that Jesus was walking in love as he spoke the words of God to Judas. Even then, Jesus had given him all this time, but it seems like until the very end, there was an effort to correct and to speak the words of God that could have potentially turned his heart, though we know they didn't. What about this one, verse nine? Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. Of course, we just read about Perfume being poured out on Jesus. And the pleasantness of one's friend springs from their heartfelt advice. The pleasantness of one's friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Another version says, from their earnest counsel, right? When you have someone in your life that you can trust to really tell you like it is and not fluff it all up and hold back because, you know, they would rather see you fail and continue in bondage, and continue in the cycle that you are, rather than actually lovingly speak words of truth that might feel cutting at the time, but that can truly set you free? How do you feel about that person? Do you have somebody like that in your life? Man, if you do, it's like perfume. It's like a blessing, isn't it, to truly have someone that we know is in our corner, that we know wants nothing but the best for us, even if sometimes that means those difficult conversations. I believe that's what Jesus, even to the end, was being to Judas. He was being that friend that speaks the word of God and the truth of God that could have set him free, even though he didn't choose to take advantage of it. What about this? There's a third person that we see here and that is peter and you know we we read there in the middle part of chapter 14 that jesus had the last supper with his disciples and he you know poured out his heart uh, for them and he uh, reminded them that it was his blood and his body his his body that was being broken his blood that was being shed for their redemption and of course at some point there judas literally left And went to betray him. But then in uh, picking it up in verse 27, it says this, Jesus told them, you will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Jesus is just like, hey guys, here's what's coming. Just giving you a heads up. This is what's gonna happen. You're all gonna, uh, to run away. But Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I will not be moved. Jesus, you and I, we're bros. You and I, man, you're my big man, JC. Like, I'm Peter. You call me a rock, remember? Yes, my name initially meant little pebble, but you changed it. You said you're not just, you know, Simon, you're Cephas, you're a rock, right? Or maybe I got that mixed up. Anyway, but you're not just a little pebble. You're a rock. And on the declaration from your mouth that I am... The, 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 the son of God, the Messiah, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's like, I'm that guy. I will not abandon you, Lord. I don't know if it was because, I think it to this. Even if these other dudes do. You know, I don't know why you chose them. I've had my doubts about several of them, Jesus. <laughs> Some of these guys are going to bail on you. I'm just going to be honest, but not me, not me. Sometimes we feel that way, right? Like, Lord you're blessed to have someone like me in your kingdom. (laughs) Some people have to be anchors in the church. Some people have to take their turn brewing those pots of coffee or even helping in the nursery. And Lord, you can count on me. I am your rock, Lord. But maybe it was because of that statement that Jesus then continued. I said, truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically. We could have said, oh, wow, Peter took him seriously. It was like, oh, Lord, help me. Give me, no. It says, Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love Peter. Jesus is trying to, to help him. Jesus is the worthy ox of heaven that is lifting and carrying our burdens and trying to, to help these guys be ready for what's coming. But in the midst of all that, Peter's like not having any of it. He's like, no, no, no. Maybe others need to hear this, but I, I'm gonna be the rock that stands with you. Jesus tells him, hey, you're gonna deny me three times. And you know, we go on to read this. What happened next? They went to a place called Gethsemane, means the pressing the pressing like those olives were pressed to make olive oil. "'Sit here while I pray,' Jesus said to his disciples. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. "'My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death,' he said to them. "'Stay here and keep watch.' "'Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible,' the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you sleeping? Are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Couldn't you stay awake, is what that word means, for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. One more time, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. And then, of course, it happened once again. And finally, he woke them up and said, hey, my betrayer is at hand. Have you ever been in a situation where you just needed one or two or three friends to stand with you in it? To sit with you in the pain? To just be present to what you're going through. Not necessarily to have the answers. Not necessarily to hit you with a Bible verse. Hey, it's going to be okay. Hey, God promises. Here's a Bible promise book. But just to to sit with you in the deep distress that you're feeling and the deep anguish of heart. I believe that Jesus was in that very same situation. He was just saying, guys, please come pray with me. Just even if you don't know what you're praying for, just, it means a lot to me. Just have you close. Man, my soul is distressed to the point of death. But what happened? What did his three besties do? In the midst of that darkest hour, they fell asleep. They couldn't even hang with Jesus for an hour and hold him up and, 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 and be brothers and friends to him. So I'm here to tell you, if if you're going through a situation like that, and you feel alone, and you feel like people don't understand, you feel like people have let you down, like those that you thought you could trust, and those you thought you could count on, have just fallen short, Jesus knows exactly how you feel. He knows what it's like to be in that place where you truly feel alone. And that's exactly how Peter let Jesus down in this situation. Here's the thing. Even through that, we read on to find out that Jesus' words would be fulfilled, that, that the shepherd would be struck and the sheep would be scattered. And indeed they were. If you read on in that chapter, you read that when the soldiers came and all that happened, all of the disciples fled, including Peter. It was so such a traumatic experience that we read that one of them who was young. Uh, was only dressed with like a, like a, like a one, one piece of clothing and uh, somebody grabbed hold of his garments and he just sort of like shuck loose and phew, he ran away buck naked. He ran away completely in fear and terror and we believe that he may be the actual author of the Gospel of Mark. John Mark may have been that young man who fled, but Peter fled, everybody abandoned Jesus and then... In the darkest hour, when Peter was confronted by the servant girl at the fire just outside of Caiaphas's house, he denied Jesus, not once, but three times. The last time, calling down curses on himself. I am cursed if I know Jesus. I swear to you that I do not know him. I think even in denying Jesus, we see some of the flair of Peter. <laughs> he was... You know, if you're going to go, go big, right? Go large. That was Peter even in denying Jesus, calling down curses on himself. Wow, the extent of his abandonment of Jesus and of the one who had poured into him for the last three and a half years. But maybe you're here today and you're feeling like that. Wow, you know what? I've let God down. You know what? I'm going through a divorce and I know that it shouldn't have been this way. And at some point... I abandoned that, and 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 I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. Maybe you're going through a physical illness, and you're like, I just haven't believed God to heal me. I don't, and I and I feel like I'm lacking of faith. Maybe you're in a strained relationship, and you're like, man, I know I'm not walking in the love of God. I know I'm not walking in forgiveness. Maybe you're a parent, and your child is estranged from you, and you're like man, I know I'm to blame some of the things I could have done better. And you just feel that weight of shame and of guilt. You're not alone. I believe Peter felt exactly that. He felt that shame. He felt that he had let God down. I'm sure he probably saw himself as kind of a leader amongst the other disciples. Maybe he felt like, man, I I thought I would be strong and be an example for others. But yet, what do I do? I don't just run away like everybody else. I actually deny him, even knowing him. There was a time when I was uh, 14 years old, I believe, and it was in Spain, where I lived with my parents. They were missionaries. And... um, our youth group had been notified that there was this huge Christian conference taking place in Barcelona. It was called Expo 84. And uh, churches and people, busloads of people coming from all over, I don't know, Europe or whatever, and they were doing this big thing. And so uh, there was a church from Madrid who was responsible, had taken on the responsibility of being the ushers and the security, not like armed security, but like... uh, Like the gatekeepers, if you will, you know, they were going to have the lanyards, the cool lanyards, like we belong, we're the, you know, el grupo de control, the group of control. Think about that. It's very ominous sounding, isn't it? And so we would check people's wristbands on the way in, make sure everybody who was there had a right to be there, make sure people knew where the restrooms were. I mean, it's important high-level stuff. Anyway, so we found out that this busload of youth from the Madrid church were coming, including some of the girls, we, several of my friends and I, Pepitoni, Juan Angel, JJ, and I, felt the calling of the Lord to also serve Jesus <laughs> and his kingdom alongside these cute girls from Madrid. And we were moved, you know, just to be a part of the kingdom. So we're like, we will serve. We were like, Peter, I'm, we're the rock. you can count on us? We can be trusted under pressure. So we serve for a couple of days, and you know, checking, you know, all the things, and yes, restrooms that way. Oh, main hall that way, you know. And we had the you know, lanyard with Grupo de Control, and uh, but it, there came like I think it was a Saturday afternoon. They were like, hey, it's free time for like four hours. We're like, sweet, and they're like, oh, and we're gonna go sightseeing in the bus around Barcelona. We're like, sweet. This is why we. I mean, we signed up to serve the Lord, but secondarily. Secondarily, Titus, always secondarily. we Be with the cute girls second to serving Jesus. But, you know, we were like, yes, this is why we did it. And then they are like, oh, but since you guys are already from Barcelona and you've already seen the city, we thought you guys could stay here at the front door and we will just take all the Madrid people and go around Barcelona and sightsee it. we were like, we were so disappointed, we were crushed. And there was literally nobody that came during those four hours. So I was with my four friends, literally like the four of us, like, You know, it was like the tumbleweeds. I mean, there was not a living soul. And during that time, these other people, maybe they were girls, maybe they weren't, came by, they're like, oh my gosh, DJ. They knew me from my boarding school in Germany. One of their names was Michelle. She was blonde. She was cute. Anyway, she was like, we're going to go to McDonald's. You want to come with us? And I was like, I'm committed to the Lord's work. I'm committed to the gospel by checking name bands even though nobody has shown up in the last two hours and I know nobody else is gonna show. And there's uh, three other guys as well. I'm like, I caved. I'm like, okay, let's go. So I left. My friends are like, are you sure you shouldn't do this? I'm like, no, no, you guys got this right? I'm like, I'll be back in a jiffy. Well, of course, like every light was red. I mean, it took forever to get to the McDonald's on Sans Avenue. Get there, it took forever to take our order. It took forever to get our ice cream. It took forever to get back. I'm starting to get, sick in my stomach, you know that feeling, I'm starting to like walk faster and faster and faster. I get back and they're like, Pedro Pablo wants to see you. Pedro Pablo is, Peter Paul is his name, Pedro Pablo in Spanish. He's the leader of the Grupo de Control, of the group of ushers and security And I'm like, okay. And I'll never forget, I go to Pedro Pablo. He was a very corporate guy. He was under my dad in the church ecclesiastical structure of Spain. But in this case, he was the king of this group. This wasn't open Bible stuff. This was his own thing. And he's like, I'll never forget the exact words. He said, "Uh, Yoli, desde este momento no perteneces al grupo de control. From this moment on, you are no longer part of the group, of the control group. And he took my badge. He took my lanyard. And he's like, you no longer need to be around here. And it was like one of the most humiliating, one of the most embarrassing, one of the most crushing things. I mean, here I'm 14 years old. Fully deserved it. So, but, wow, I still remember the, I mean, I'm 52 years old now, I still remember the exact words. And, man, it was hard. It was humbling. All the other people who came found out about it. Oh, DJ got fired. Oh, All the girls that we wanted to hang out with, they all found out. DJ got fired, you know. Not a great way to impress people. But I also remember one of my friends, his name was Rodi, Rodi Loyola. He's about four years older than I. He was another guy that was part of that team. And he's now pastoring a church in Madrid. He pulled me aside. He goes, hey, Donnie. He goes, I know this happened. I know you're embarrassed. I know, you know, looking, I'm sure there's things you can learn from it. But just know, this won't define you. We see who you are. We believe in you. And we we love you. And I also remember his words to this day. And I believe that, you know, when Peter was in this situation and he was feeling the shame And he was feeling the burden of his own failure and of his own lack. I believe that the words of Jesus, Jesus loved him by seeing him through the Father's eyes. And when you feel like you're letting God down, Jesus wants you to know that he loves you and he sees you through the Father's eyes. You know, here's the thing, guys. Looking at this passage in verse 27, Jesus was saying, Hey, you'll all fall away. I'll strike the shepherd, sheep will be scattered. But then he goes on to say, but when I've risen, I will go ahead and you into Galilee. Here's three, three very simple things to know. Jesus already knew of the storm that was coming even before Peter had any idea. And in your life, it's the same way. He's not surprised. He's not like, oh, wait, oh, no. What you going through? Oh, no, let me try to figure this out real quick. See if I can help you. He already saw the storm coming. He already knew that the shepherd would be stricken and the sheep would be scattered. He knows what you're about to go through. What about this? He also already saw how Peter was gonna let him down. He already saw it. He already knew it. In another gospel, Luke 22, he actually said this, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And then he went on to say these words, when you have been restored. Not if, not if you make it. I don't know, Peter. I've got questions about you. Not, oh man, I don't know, Peter, you really let me down this time. He's saying, you know what? When you've been restored, go and strengthen your brothers. I believe when God looks at you, he's saying, you know what? Yeah, maybe I knew the storm was coming before you did. And maybe I even have been aware before you were of how you're letting me down or how you're struggling and how you feel like you're failing right now. Maybe you really are failing big time. But you know what? The last thing was Jesus was already looking ahead on the other side of it. He was already saying, hey, I know some stuff's going to go on that you're going to regret, you're going to be sorry about, but hey, when I've risen, I'm going to go ahead of you into Galilee. He was already looking on the other side of God's grace, on the other side of healing on the other side of strengthening, on the other side of forgiving him, on the other side of restoring him. I believe he may have already been looking ahead to the day when Peter, just a few days later, would be speaking on the day of Pentecost, filled with the boldness of God, filled with the the, the power of the Holy Spirit, preaching a message that brought 3,000 people to their knees and to the knowledge of Jesus. I believe that he was seeing A Peter that would walk down the street and whose very shadow would bring healing to people. They would rise from paralysis because the power of God would hit them. I believe that he was looking at a Peter who, at least according to church tradition, went on to actually give his life for Jesus. The very thing he was afraid to do. The very thing he had denied in order to save his life. Church tradition tells us that he was crucified, but that when he was on his way with his executioners, he said, hey, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. I want to be crucified upside down. Wow, what a transformation. (laughs) From a guy who was calling down curses on himself to save his own life, to a person who said, yes, not only am I willing to be crucified, but what I'm thinking about right now as I'm facing crucifixion is my Lord who gave his life for me and how I want to honor him. And I'm not worthy to be crucified like he was. Man, I want to encourage you today. Jesus is looking at you Through the Father's eyes. He's looking at you no matter what you're doing, how you're falling short. He's looking at you and he already sees you on the other side of the Father's grace, of his ability to restore you, of his ability to work in your life. He already sees how you're gonna learn from this, how you're gonna grow, how you're gonna repent and renew your mind. And I believe that he loves you. His heart is moved by your worship just like he was by the woman Pouring the alabaster perfume I believe that even when our heart is hard If we're not getting something Just like Judas wasn't I believe he's faithful as a friend To continue speaking the words That can cut through that hardness of heart And bring repentance in life Just like he did with Judas To the very end And I believe he's seeing you Through the eyes of the Father Who know no bounds Whose power knows no limit So be encouraged be strengthened in your spirit. No matter what you're going through, I'm gonna pray real quick. Um, but I want you, to, I believe God wants you to know that even when he's under pressure, he loves you with the Father's heart, with the Father's words, and with the Father's eyes. And he's calling us then to join him in that friendship that he shows for us and that character of being our burden lifter. And he's saying, hey, there's gonna be opportunities where you're gonna be able to join me in doing that for someone else. Are you ready to come with me? Are you ready to follow me? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you that you're worthy. Thank you that you're a servant who is a friend to us and a burden lifter and who by your face shining upon us reminds us of the Father's forgiveness and of the Father's hope and of the Father's love and of the Father's promise that we're not able to accomplish by our own effort that we fall short of many times, but Lord, you continue to bring us back to the fact that it's about you. It's about your ability, not ours. It's about your love that never falls short, not ours. God, I pray you'd minister to our hearts and open our minds to this truth and give us the grace to enter with you into that love and into that servant heart that is willing to roll up our sleeves and bear the burden for someone close to us when they need to see you most. God, let us join you and be like you in that. God, bless your people. Encourage us, Father. Draw us closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen.